But we've been following the life and times of David throughout 1 Samuel, and now we hit 2 Samuel, uh, hit the historical recordings of David's journey. Last week we discussed how the king-elect, because he's going to be the king, uh, and, and his heart, and with what appears to be King Saul's partnership with evil. Last week we read how in the end of 1 Samuel in chapter 30, Saul falls on his own sword. And when David hears about Saul's death, he hears about it in a different way than it actually took place. He hears about it reframed by an opportunist. 1 Samuel ends with Saul fighting, it says, the battle was fierce, the Philistines were pressing all around him, he's fighting down to the very end where he himself is wounded, it says he has a fatal wound, so he's near death when he falls on his own sword, and it sounds to me a little more noble than at times uh, Saul is given credit for as he has fought down to the very end uh, with his uh, team. But 2 Samuel begins with a young soldier who comes upon the death of the body of Saul and sees an opportunity. And this is how the story goes. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, he just killed those Amalekites who stole his wife and kids and, and burned his village. And David had stayed two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to him, where have you come from? And he said, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me what's going on over there. And he said, he answered, the people have fled from the battle and many of the people have fallen and dead. Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man told him, uh, who told him said, as I happened by chance on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And in, indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that you could not live after, that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took a hold of his own clothes and, and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? He answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it that you're not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him, and so he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head. 
for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. One would think, with all that Saul had put David through, that David would throw a big party when he hears about the death of Saul. The Philistines were celebrating. They had defeated the armies of Israel, scattered them. They, you know, they had won a huge victory. But David and his men fasted. They said, we're, we're going to mourn. We're going to pray. We're not, we're not going to eat. We're not going to celebrate the death of the man David called the anointed king of Israel. And what about the young Amalekite? He tried to set himself up for a big reward with lies and deception. It's been said, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Keep in mind, your enemy, the enemy of your enemy, has his own interests, not yours, and not God's interests at heart. The saying, he who lies for you will lie to you. Come on in, Candace. Don't worry about it. I'm trying to tiptoe in. He who lies to you or for you will lie to you is probably uh, very accurate. Life lesson number one, the enemy of your enemy is not your friend. There's an old story about the Duke of Milan. He was so hated for his unbearable cruelty that everybody prayed day and night for something bad to happen to him. Over time, uh, someone found out that every day at sunrise, a decrepit old little saint entered a church and prayed to God that he gave the duke health and long life. The duke, hearing about this and knowing well that he didn't deserve this for his own virtue, sent for the woman and asked her why she prayed to God for him every day. I admit, she said, that I have done this until now for good reasons. When I was a very young girl, we had a cruel leader, and I wished that he would fall from power and die. After he died, another leader, worse than he, succeeded him. Wherefore, I believed once more that it would be to our advantage if he were killed. Now you are our third Lord, and you are more wicked and cruel than either of them. I fear, therefore, that after your death, you will be succeeded by someone worse than you are. And so I never stop praying to God to let you live a long, long, long time. And although Saul was cruel to David beyond reason, David refused to take matters into his own hands. When he has chances to kill Saul, he would not. No matter how cruel Saul's intentions continue to be, no matter how uh, vindictive and uh, false the, the, the lies that Saul spread about David's betrayal to him when David was the most loyal servant in the kingdom, the most brave warrior who fought for the anointed King Saul on his behalf. No matter how uh, 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 things had played out towards David, David let it, left it all in the hands of the Lord, and he blessed the Lord at all times, and even vowed to bless Saul's family in the future when he would rule. In this case, 
David considered the enemy of his enemy still his enemy because he killed the anointed one of Israel. And even though he didn't, he was taking credit for it and trying to score points with David. Remember that it was the Amalekites that had just captured and kidnapped David's family, just threatened the loss of his wives and children, and they'd just gotten done with this big battle with the Amalekites. David found the Amalekite story, behavior, motivation, unacceptable, unacceptable, pathetic, and represent, rep, reprehensible. It was the Amalekites that had been an enemy of Israel. The Amalekite was an opportunist, a liar, a mercenary who apparently tried to turn the death of Saul into profit and potential position for himself in David's new kingdom that he knew was going to be established. The Amalekite had no class, no respect, no integrity. Think about it. If his version was if it was accurate, his version, it means he grabbed the crown and the bracelet off of Saul while he was uh, pr probably still bleeding, breathing and bleeding, which means he left Saul and Jonathan's bodies to be found by the Philistines, who we find out cut off their heads and nailed their naked bodies as trophies onto the walls of Beth Shan. What a shame for God's people that their anointed king, what a disgrace, what a mockery against God and his people. And that is what the Amalekite is bragging that he had a part. David and his men fast and mourn for Saul and Jonathan. We find out in, in the in the text in the chapter prior that other valiant men went down and took down the bodies from the walls and respectfully burned them. David doesn't have a party when the news of Saul's death arrives, but instead he writes a tribute song to Saul and Jonathan and requires his men to memorize it, know it by heart. And I want to read it to you in a few minutes in the next part of this message. Will you stand with me? Lord, there are people who have done things to us, said things to us, said things about us, said things behind our backs, did things behind our backs. Would you give us the spirit of the Lord that David was able to tap into when, when there were obvious lies and injustice, when there was such raging abuse coming his way that he was able to trust you, Lord. He was able to turn to you. He was able to forgive the abuser and live a life of worship and praise to you. I'm sure that some of David's closest friends were happy about Saul's death. They risked everything. They left everything. They were in the king's courts, and now they're following young David, who's been banished or is running for his life. He's been outlawed, and there's a bounty on his head, and 
And we know what the scripture said, though, at, at first, that it was the 400 men were kind of malcontents and misfits that came to David. And they know that David will soon be king. And they will get promotions themselves. They will become in charge of the united kingdom of God's people. And they will serve on David's cabinet, so to speak, in influential positions in the next few years. It does still take a couple years to unfold, shockingly enough. But David is now contemplating his father-in-law's death and from a brand new vantage point. Now, I can't begin to understand some of the pain that some of you around this room have experienced. Abuse, mistreatment, abandonment. But when an abuser dies, I have noticed that many people uh, rise above the temptation to spit on somebody's grave. Some people are able to transition after death and focus on the positive. They're able to forgive the past once that person dies. I read this journal entry from a believer that said, well, I just thought maybe it would help you understand what I'm trying to say here. I was five years old when my parents divorced, so being picked on, left out or brushed off was difficult and painful for me during my life. When I was young, I took rejection, hurts, and sadness very much to heart. I spent hours tying myself up in knots and thinking to a, to a dead end on how to vindicate myself over minor disagreements. Nobody taught me otherwise. My father remarried and did not live with us. I thought the worst of people who had offended or disliked me, wrote me off or put me down, looked down on me or talked bad about me. At times, proving people wrong fueled my motivation in life. I had a million questions about my parents' divorce that I wanted to ask my father, but his death taught me a far more important lesson. The answer was not in him, but in me. How I live in the present and the future surpasses and alleviates what I know about the past. The loss of my father in 1999 was more painful than the secrets he kept, the mistakes he made, and the sorrows he caused. Wow. When my father died, the hurts of childhood, divorce or abandonment didn't matter anymore. Neither did the discovery of who was right or who was wrong in the divorce. What did he do to make my mother leave and why didn't he try harder to keep the marriage together? Those were adult problems, secrets and heartaches. And digging up the past and knowing the real story seemed trivial secondary and petty all the past was gone with the wind buried with the dead and best to be history and forgotten 
to me, that sounds like how David was lamenting Saul's death and Jonathan, his friend. David, like a brilliant songwriter, like the brilliant songwriters in history, writes another song in a time of uh, mourning. And he orders his men to memorize it. And I'm titling his song, Oh, How the Mighty Have Fallen. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Reading in the King James Version. I kind of like it. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. He's saying that sword was anointed for battle, and now it is covered with blood. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of a woman. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Such respect. Remembering a warrior, a brave leader of God's people, forgiving the past confusion, outlandish accusations towards David, the most loyal of servants to Saul. The outbursts of rage when spears came flying towards David as he's worshiping the Lord and alleviating the king who he adores wants him dead because he's jealous because David's become more popular than him. The lies, the betrayal. His friendship with Jonathan is unmatched. It's not a sexual statement here. And I know some liberal scholars have tried to say that this is uh, a setting where Saul is homophobic and, and David has made some statement about his love with Jonathan being homosexual. But it's not a sexual statement. When David says your love, he uses the words ahaba, meaning the, 
the love of God towards mankind or brotherly love, meaning a love that's not like that. He's saying it's the complete opposite. You think of it as passions and fleshly love, but it's, it's beyond that. And we always think of passionate love between a couples as the greatest love there could. How could he say there'd be a love greater than... That's earthly passion and, and, and a blessing, might I add, that I can testify to in my life. But the love of God and a brotherly love is, is even more dynamic. It's a different kind of a dynamic, but it's dynamic. He didn't use the word yada, which means to know somebody biblically. He knew him, right? That, that means they had sexual relations. For example, Genesis 4, Adam knew Eve, it says. Genesis 4 is clear. It says, Adam and Eve were together one night, and yada, 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 she gave birth to Cain. I knew you'd like that. David decides to compliment and speak respectfully. He calls Saul the beauty of Israel in his song, How the Mighty Have Fallen. Beloved, pleasant. It's the first time in the Old Testament where this phrase is used. It, it's gracious. And it seems like Saul has been anything but gracious, anything but pleasant toward David. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Beloved, pleasant, swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Why trample on someone's grave? Because now God will settle his or her account. Don't let the abuse continue to affect your tomorrow. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is challenging us to bury that pain once and for all with the coffins of those who have left us. And if your abuser is still walking, or maybe even stalking, the planet, may you take refuge in the Lord and never forget that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Will you stand with me? Victor Yap said it this way, do not wish upon your worst enemy what you decline, exclude, or shun for yourself. Do you pray for those who have hurt you? Do you pray for those who have tainted your reputation? Do you pray for those who have harmed you? Or have you become hardened and sour by the circumstances? that you've sometimes been dragged through. May the Spirit of the Lord rest on you and give you the grace of God that David displayed towards Saul, his abuser. Listen to verse from Psalm 61 from David's Greatest Hits album available on, if you're an Amazon Prime person. 
Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For you've been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. You bow your heads, close your eyes in this moment. Lord, I know there are some secrets in the shadows of the lives of friends that have gathered here today to honor and worship you in the name of Jesus. There are some secrets that, uh, when brought up, seem to create such dark shadows, such deep wounds. It doesn't seem fair in life that we would let someone off the hook, that we would forgive them. But God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, reveal to us the, the healing power of the forgiving grace extended towards anyone. And the greater that someone is uh, uh, forgiven, the greater that they, that they will love, you said. And that was in our relationship to you. How much greater will the work be of the forgiveness that we can extend towards other people? That we could speak well of those. That we could remember the good and, and place the, the, the trials and the difficulty and the tests and the, the stuff that was thrown at us. That we could lay it at your altar and allow you to heal us, allow you to mend, allow you to uh, get the credit for the good that's coming out of our lives because we are allowed, uh, we dared, we dared to forgive someone that had no idea the depth of their words, the, the sting of their statements, they had no idea. But thank you for your grace and your forgiveness in your example. Only through the power of Jesus Christ could this kind of miracle happen in the deep secret places of our lives. But we ask, Lord, that you would do that. You would do it. And not, not just for the person who needs our forgiveness, but like your words say, it's for us that we can, that we can love in a more healthy way, that we are that we are balanced in, in standing on the rock of Jesus Christ today and looking into the future with clarity in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.sf.